you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Guys, you know running restaurants, you know you got a thousand details to take care of, but preventative maintenance should be at the very top of the list. Think about the risks, you know, a power outage. If you don't have a generator in place that'll immediately kick in, you could be losing tens of thousands of dollars in perishable product in your refrigeration, your walk-ins, that sort of thing. I know it happened to me once. We've had uh, up at the ski resort in my prior restaurants a couple of times where the power went down, sometimes for days. I did not have a generator, and this may sound really old school and a little crazy, but thankfully we were at a ski resort in the winter and we moved all our perishable product out into the snowbanks until we could get that power turned back on. Again, crazy story, but you don't want that to happen to you. So I'm really excited to host Mr. Manik Suri, who's the CEO of a company called Therma, and they're really concerned with, obviously, the environment and climate change. It's a real problem. I've seen it firsthand myself. But their company literally produces sensors that literally notify you if you have a power shortage, if the power goes down, if human error happens, if someone leaves a refrigerator door open or a freezer door and you could be losing hundreds of dollars of product, you'll get a notification, you know, via SMS, phone call, you specify, it can go to you, it can go to other owners, other managers, as many people as you specify, but it's a really cool thing. I think you're going to want to listen to this week's episode. Again, preventative maintenance is super important because so much money is lost every year in lost perishable product. You don't want that to happen to you. So listen on. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. And as you know, these are engaging topics that help restaurants rock their profits, build their brands, deliver amazing guest service experiences, and just best practices to help you run a stronger operation. With me today, Mr. Monik Suri, and he is the CEO and founder of a tech startup called Therma. Now, this company protects your valuable inventory from equipment failures and power outages and even human error. But before we get into that, I'd like to welcome Monik to the show. How are you today? I'm great, Roger. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, being here, Monik. It's going to be great to talk to you. Now, I normally start by asking guests, you know, what their hospitality backstory is, but I have to say you have a very impressive educational background, two degrees from Harvard, um, also Cambridge University in England. I mean, really amazing stuff here. You've got an undergrad degree in government, I believe, and then you've got obviously a JD, Juris Doctorate in Law from Harvard Law School. I mean, awesome stuff. So you're a lawyer, you're a tech startup guy. I mean, Renaissance man, right? Too many degrees, my, my, my mom might say, but yes, uh, definitely have a lot of education uh, in, in Boston, as I was saying earlier to you, Roger. It's been um, great to spend time uh, studying and applying some of those insights, both as a uh, as an entrepreneur and then working at the intersection of uh, industries of technology, uh, food, and climate. So, um, yeah, definitely the journey, as my dad likes to say, makes sense uh, much more in the rearview mirror. Sometimes you don't know where the path is taking you, but you look back on the road and, and it all kind of makes sense. The twists and turns uh, of life. That. That is absolutely true. I mean, that's that happens to everyone, especially now during the crazy pandemic when so many people have had to pivot in so many different directions. We're still pivoting in many ways. I'm sure you've had that challenge with your own company as well. Let me ask you then, what is your hospitality backstory? Did you work in the restaurant or hotel industry before you started Therma? Yeah, I, I uh, 
I didn't have a background in restaurants or hospitality directly. I grew up uh, around the food industry. I grew up in the Central Valley in California in an ag town called Fresno. Um, and my parents still live there. They've been there for about 30 years. So we had uh, walnut groves behind my house. We had um, you know, uh, vineyards down the road, lots of growing and lots of production all around us. Uh, but I didn't really have a formal background in food or in hospitality. Um, it was kind of an accidental uh, introduction through one of my professors uh, at Harvard Law. I was finishing my last year of law school, and I was out in Boston building cases with city inspectors uh, to help improve um, health and safety uh, standards in housing. And one of my professors who taught this clinic on uh, health and safety code enforcement and, and uh, consumer protection was also a food sanitarian in Framingham. And he had been inspecting restaurants and factories and meat processing plants. And he mentioned that there was a huge opportunity in food to help bring technology to, to kind of improve safety and quality management. That's kind of how I learned about it. Around the same time, uh, Chipotle uh, had a big uh, series of food safety issues um, back in 2015, which some of the listeners might remember. And I so, do. I absolutely do. Yeah, that, that made a lot of headlines. And it's really interesting because things like that can be devastating to a business and certainly set them back for a while. But Chipotle has certainly bounced back strong during the pandemic. And, you know, they're having record sales right now. And you can't get near a Chipotle without waiting quite a while to get your food. And it's like it seems just as popular as ever, despite the fact that that happened to them. But nonetheless. No, absolutely. I think that is, uh, you know, I think that there are many of these um, examples where brands come out strong. Uh, but, you know, dealing with um, um, safety and quality reputational issues can be a real hit, can be a real challenge. I think at that time, they were dealing with loss in revenue and market share. And sure. I think their value fell by around 40, 44%, uh, you know, at the, at the worst point. So we didn't know much about food safety, myself and my co-founder, but we knew there was an opportunity to improve quality and safety. And that's how we got, um, got into the space around the food supply. Excellent. Well, that's great. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, you know, climate change is a somewhat controversial topic. You know, I, I know the country is divided in many ways, and some people believe in climate change and some people don't. And I personally absolutely see, see it. I've seen it. Um, you know, I used to go to Zermatt, Switzerland quite a bit, and there's a glacier that I used to climb all the time. And I've seen this glacier reduced to dirt when it used to be, you know, permanent ice year round. I've seen that happen. I know climate change is a real thing. And I know that's a big mission of Therma. So let's talk a little bit about climate change and how your company is helping, um, obviously, to reduce emissions and reduce, you know, just human impact on the world. Yeah, I appreciate that very much, Roger. I think that um, it's, it's, it's the kind of problem uh, that is both so large and so um, abstract in some ways at times that it's hard to get one's head around. Uh, the idea that a couple of degrees of temperature warming uh, could actually change human life and the potential for human life in the future. It's kind of hard to grasp that because it sounds like, well, it's just a couple of degrees. How bad could that be? Uh, but I do think um, you know, there's overwhelming data now and overwhelming uh, consensus in a lot of the world that we are definitely changing um, weather patterns, that we are affecting long-term um, health of ecosystems, we're changing biodiversity patterns, uh, not to mention we're dealing with all kinds of severe weather events. You know, I live in California and we have had some terrible years with fires raging and 
um, you know, mudslides and grid failures and other parts of the country have struggled as well. I think um, whether you've experienced it firsthand or not, it's clear that, um, you know, that, that one has to take the issue seriously, at least think about what might be going on. And so, you know, without getting too much into the science of climate change, I think where we're focused at Therma is um, we see opportunities to help reduce waste uh, across the food supply chain. Uh, waste of three things in particular, uh, food itself, energy, and refrigerants, which are the greenhouse gases that go into refrigeration machines and equipment. And we think that all three of those uh, are good. Uh, you know, reducing waste of all three of those is good for business. It's a way of saving money. So there's a profit motive here. We want to help businesses be more profitable. We want to help improve margin and put money back in owner-operators' pockets. Um, we also think that reducing food waste and energy waste and refrigerant emissions can have pro-climate, pro-social impacts. Um, the food supply chain has a lot of production value in it, you know, trillion plus dollars moving through the supply chain in food. And there's a huge amount of that that gets lost due to a range of issues. Um, Boston Consulting Group had a study a couple of years ago that cited, um, you know, the 1.6 billion ton uh, food waste problem. And it's a, it's a big dollar value. We're talking about, um, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars worth of value getting thrown out. Um, some estimates say up to 35%, you know, more than a third of food gets wasted between production and consumption, which is just astronomical. And if you Absolutely. think about kind of how much money just gets thrown away, literally. And so we see an opportunity in one piece of that, which is the refrigeration cold chain, the holding conditions where food gets stored. We think there's an opportunity there to help businesses catch loss events, catch downtime events using real-time monitoring of their refrigeration equipment. These are display cases, low boys, walk-in fridges, freezers that store a lot of high-value inventory, whether that's proteins, you know, steak and uh, pork and chicken, seafood, you know, sushi, you've got your you know, calamari, dairy products, all of which are temp-sensitive, um, or produce. You know, all of those products, um, we want to ensure freshness. We want to ensure that they're kind of meeting uh, food safety standards. But a lot of the issues happen around the holding, uh, the holding conditions, holding temp. And what we've noticed at Therma is, is a lot of businesses just throwing stuff out uh, because of a combination of three factors, um, equipment failures, power issues, and, um, you know, human uh, error. You know, all three of those uh, combined can lead to... Um, throwout events and spoilage events. And we're trying to help catch and prevent those. So that's kind of the food waste angle on, 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 on climate. I can talk a bit more about energy and refrigerants, but just want to pause there. That was a mouthful. No, no, I think that was excellent. In fact, we're, we're touching on a couple of different issues because I definitely want to get into Therma and the solutions that you offer restaurants. But before we get there, I'm assuming you've got a whole educational process. You know, you've got online materials that educate the potential customer of what they can do to reduce food waste and what they can do to change how they store their products. I mean, what, what advice do you give restaurants on those two things, reducing waste and changing how they store product to eliminate or minimize, certainly, some of these issues we're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. We, we do offer... Um, you know, a combination of uh, educational uh, materials. And then we also try and connect uh, folks in the industry with resources out there 
uh, that are made, you know, produ- provided and produced by other experts. Um, so I think there's, um, there's a whole range of um, possibilities. Some of them are technological. Some of them are just business uh, process and, 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 and business strategy. And so we talk about and we offer um, seminars, uh, webinars, in some cases, white papers or case studies that showcase how um, various technologies, mobile apps, uh, sensors, in some cases, um, analytics or insights can all help owner operators have visibility into their stores and have a sense of where um, challenges might be coming up that could lead to waste events or spoilage events. Um, sometimes that involves educating folks on inventory and storage conditions. Sometimes it involves helping uh, business owner operators think about asset repair and replace cycles and how to think about um, when to trigger maintenance events. And sometimes it has to do with helping businesses think about um, when and where and how they should be checking this stuff, uh, whether it's in-store or kind of site visits or audits. So we do offer uh, you know, educational materials and there's great resources out there. Some of the folks we, we've kind of met and partnered with uh, in the food waste community, there's folks like Refed, uh, which are trying to bring together lots of um, innovators in food waste. I think Refed is a, it's a nonprofit approach to that. There's um, you know, educational seminars and materials offered by industry bodies like the NRA um, you know, that we're a member of. And you know, I think there's, there's many folks trying to help owner operators improve bottom line um, using a combination of technology and business process. And we're very much trying to be part of that ecosystem. Uh, everyone needs it in this kind of um, very challenging uh, environment you know, with everything going on in the world today. It's not an easy time to run a a restaurant. And so any little bit can help. <laughs> yeah, it was the most challenging business before the pandemic. Now it's gotten even harder. <laughs> Let's jump to the refrigerant emissions piece you spoke of. Now I know as a two decade long operator, restaurants have a variety of refrigeration. They have big walk-ins, they have freezers, they've got low boys, like you mentioned, there's refrigeration behind the bar. It's everywhere. And, you know, operators really not, don't necessarily take as much care with preventative maintenance as they could or should. It's like one of those thousands of details of running a restaurant, but obviously efficiency, it, it impacts your electricity bill. But even more, they're not aware that these things could be leaking refrigerant or freon, which is a somewhat toxic substance. And, you know, you try to stretch your equipment as long as you can before replacing it or before maintaining it or calling in the refrigeration guy that costs you 500 bucks for a service call. What can we do and what are the risks that I mentioned that you're an expert at? Like, I'm just guessing off the top of my head based on being an operator, what's going on behind the scenes, but you can really advise, can't you? So, uh, you know, I think it's a, uh, a really uh, interesting and kind of often overlooked area of operations. It's, you know, many times this kind of question about how to manage refrigeration assets falls into facilities and maintenance, or sometimes gets outsourced to a, you know, a third party repair firm. I think, um, you know, if we step back and, and look at the box, refrigeration assets are some of the more expensive pieces of equipment in, in the location. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they have an asset life. They have a, a lifetime. Um, if we can extend that asset lifetime and improve the performance of that asset, that can put money back in your pocket as an operator. If you can get an extra six months or extra year or two out of that asset before having to replace it, um, you know, that's, you, can, you can calculate the, the savings and not having to repair or replace so often. And, and those are expensive capital investments. So um, what we try and do 
and what we see opportunities in are monitoring those equipment assets continuously can help uh, provide insights into what kinds of problems they might be having. Those could be uh, related to a number of factors. It could be related to, for instance, wiring issues or cleaning um, of, of coils or, um, for instance, door jams being loose or latches not working or even in some cases coolant or refrigerant leaking and leaking out. And in, in, in total, what you end up seeing across all of these issues is the equipment doesn't perform as it should. It might be running hot, which means you have to set the set point lower and lower to get it to maintain cooling. Or it might be overworked, which means it's sucking energy at a rate that's more expensive and more intensive than it needs to. Um, or it might just be um, you know, deep freezing product more than it should. And, uh, and that can cause... Um, you know, quality and, and, and freshness issues with taste and, and guest experience. And so um, in addition to kind of the, the, the equipment uh, life itself, if you can figure out when and how to get a repair order triggered early, it can save you money on the repair itself. So the last thing we want is to have a customer have to get a last minute, last mile repair at overtime rate and have a service disruption and lose money on their shift and then have to reprep material that might have had to be thrown out. So now you're dealing with unhappy guests, a limited menu because certain items aren't available. Your store team is distracted because they're dealing with a repair cycle. The repair crew is charging double overtime or one and a half overtime. We want to get that kind of stuff handled preemptively uh, you know, before that kind of thing happens on your time, not on your guest time. And so um, there's also that, you know, the service disruption and the lost revenue and the guest experience associated with these things happening at the wrong time. And so we're trying to use the data from real-time monitoring of refrigeration to help trigger early warning and preventative maintenance instead of last-minute reactive. And in doing those preventative maintenance um, cycles, you can often extend the asset life, just like taking care of any piece of machinery from your car to your vacuum cleaner can help you get extra months or years out of it. So um, there's a bunch of ways in which um, understanding how refrigeration works can help save money, um, you know, in the short term and long term, the refrigerant piece, and I'll, I'll pause in a sec, the refrigerant pieces, what's interesting is refrigerants, the greenhouse gases that make cooling happen, um, often are being emitted into the atmosphere during leakage events. And of course, at the end of life, life when the assets being discarded. And so if we can catch refrigeration issues early, um, in some cases, in, in, in a number of cases, not always, but in, in a number of cases, those uh, refrigeration issues are because of refrigerant leak or a coolant leak. And so by catching that early, we can help trigger the repair and reduce the amount of leakage happening. Those refrigerants, if they're just left to their own devices leaking at a baseline rate, they're ultra warming, meaning they, they, they warm the atmosphere at between 1,000 and 9,000 times the amount of CO2. So they're ultra warming or very high global warming potential molecules. We don't want molecules like that getting into the atmosphere and causing 1,000 to 9,000 times more warming. There's a climate group called Project Drawdown, which studies climate change. Every year they have a ranking of possible solutions to reduce warming around the world. They have about 80 solutions. And last year they, and the year before, they put refrigerants at the top of the list reducing refrigerant emissions and refrigerant um, leakage. And so, you know, we're just trying to make a small dent on that problem. But, um, but that's, that's the other benefit of, of monitoring refrigeration. 
helps businesses save money and can reduce the leakage. You know, that's kind of fascinating because before everything was, you know, the ozone layer is being depleted by aerosol cans and hairsprays and all these. And, and of course, that's true. But what I'm hearing is refrigerant is at the top of the list. The number one problem is refrigeration leaks. And that particular chemical and those molecules are affecting climate change to that extent. I had no idea. Same here. Same here, Roger. You know, when I was growing up, uh, the first generation of refrigerants, um, in the 80s and 90s, they were eating the ozone layer. Those were generation one refrigerants that were causing the ozone layer to get depleted. And we were talking about the, the ozone layer and the, and the penguins and the South Pole and North Pole having challenges and cancer. And the second generation of refrigerants uh, that came out after that, um, they stopped eating the ozone layer, but they still have this ultra warming effect. And, and so that's, that's what we're trying to help with is um, we solved the ozone issue to some extent, but we haven't tackled this warming issue. Thanks for clarifying. You know, you mentioned earlier at the start of this um, discussion that you were influenced by a Harvard professor on food safety issues. Is that literally what led you to start Therma? Um, did you, I know you're also an attorney or you're whether you practice or not, I'm sure at one point you did. I mean, you've had an extensive career. I'm trying to get the path from that influence to, hey, Eureka, the light bulb just went off and I want to save the environment and I want to do good by the industry. And you serve multiple industries besides hospitality. But is that really the trigger for you founding Therma or was there some other thing involved? I think it was a, a few things that came together um, at the same time. You know, there's a few different strands that now when I look back, it makes sense. At the time, it was just kind of you know, trying to stumble my way through, figure out what to do next, where to, where to, where to kind of move forward on. But um, I had gone to law school and worked um, briefly in government in the Obama White House in the first Obama administration on the economic policy team. And I met um, uh, a woman, a, a colleague there, the deputy CTO uh, in the White House. Um, she was a former lawyer or recovering attorney, as she likes to joke, Beth Novick. And she was a really inspiring thinker who had taught herself how to write code and gotten interested in the intersection of law, government, and technology, kind of before it was cool in the 2000s. She wrote a book called The Wiki Government, WikiGov, about how technology was transforming social and commercial life, how we dine, how we date, how we engage in everyday activity, but that law and government, two of the largest sectors in the economy, were still run like it's 1950. And so I read the book. I met Beth. I thought she was really inspiring. When she left government, um, uh, I joined her to start a center with her uh, at NYU where she teaches called the Governance Lab or GovLab. And so that was how I got interested in tech and into tech, uh, trying to help build technology tools to improve uh, governance and government-related workflows, particularly around compliance and regulation. So I was doing work with Beth as a co-founder at the GovLab. Uh, and I was going back and forth between Boston and New York for a couple of years. And um, at the same time, I was, t I was finishing law school. I was in my last year of law school. And I was taking this clinic, building cases um, with city inspectors. And that was how I stumbled into or discovered this huge opportunity around inspections and compliance being largely done on pen and paper clipboards with binders of legal code being carried around. And so... Uh, coming out of the GovLab, I was trying to think about which workflows we could actually build a product around, where could we actually build a company with a product approach. And so we looked at these inspections and said, hey, there's got to be a better way to do this. Um, and that's what led us to start Co-Inspect, which is the precursor to Therma. Um, Co-Inspect was our first product and collaborative inspect. And it was basically a mobile app 
combined with um, structured data to replace pen and paper line checks, pen and paper audits, and all of the daily quality and safety check work. So co-inspect is how I got into the food industry and into food safety and quality. That was around 2015, and that's when Chipotle had this uh, food safety issue, series of issues. Fast forward three years later, we were building and scaling Co-Inspect. We had it deployed across around 5,000 locations, largely restaurants, and we were watching users using the app, trying to figure out ways to improve it and help businesses even more. And we noticed that a big part of what people were checking, what store managers and, and, and uh, line chefs were checking had to do with the temperature holding conditions of the product. There was a lot of temperature monitoring, temperature management around this. And so we thought, maybe that's something we can replace even the human check on a clipboard. Digital clipboard is better than paper and pen, but it still requires people to check stuff on our digital clipboard multiple times a day. And so my colleague, Andrew Hager, who is now our CTO, he had a background in hardware and sensors. And he happened to have trained at the Culinary Institute of America. He'd gone to the CIA way back uh, 15 years prior and had worked in um, uh, in restaurants. He'd actually worked as a, as a pastry chef in, in restaurant. And he's uh, your CTO, pastry chef turned CTO. That's awesome. Exactly. Exactly. He's, uh, we have a, uh, a multidisciplinary team. Of oh my gosh. Yeah. I hope he does baking and his off hours brings all the treats into the office. Oh my gosh. If I could, if I could, uh, cook with the panache of Andrew, um, yeah. or code the way he can, it would be, it would Amazing. be a win. But, Andrew and I were watching workers doing checks with our mobile app, and he said, I think we can use a sensor. I think there's a way to use a sensor to replace even the clipboard. That was the summer of 19, and we started working on this sensor approach, and that led us into refrigeration management. And Therma, temperature, humidity, equipment, remote monitoring application, we call her Therma. Oh, That's cool. It's an acronym. <laughs> it's an acronym. Yep. Awesome. So let's, let's dive in to... The product. Now you have a 24-7 wireless temp and humidity monitoring sensor. Okay, that is the product. I was on the website. I was checking it all out. I totally got it. Why don't you tell us, one, what it does, how it works, the placement, and all the ins and outs of that product, and how it's saving the environment and saving restaurants money. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think you pretty much summarized it, Roger. I mean, you know, we try to keep it very simple. The, the product itself is, um, is a, a series of sensors that you can drop in place um, and connect to a, a hub or gateway. Those sensors can monitor temperature and humidity, um, pretty large ranges going all the way down to deep freeze and ultra cold, as well as up to, to warm and even in some cases hot conditions. Um, typically, we're monitoring mostly refrigeration assets, so walk-in freezers, fridges, display cases, low boys, places where inventory is stored that's perishable. Um, the sensors work like an alarm, so they trigger alerts and notifications. Uh, on uh, We have mobile apps that work on Apple and Android systems, so you can get in-app alerts, you can get text messaging-based alerts, and you can get phone call or any of the above, all of them, if you want. We typically uh, structure the alerting similar to an alarm, where you have a um, cascade and, and kind of increasing urgency, depending on how long or how uh, severe the issue is. And so you can set up alerts to go to store level team members and then eventually above store uh, team members and even corporate, depending on the size of the, the, the company that's deploying. Um, mainly, 
users only interact with the system when there's a problem. It's meant to be kind of a set and forget, you know, uh, to give you peace of mind. So Absolutely. hopefully you're not getting too much information. But if, if you are getting alerts and notifications, it might tell you uh, things like um, a door being left open at night because of an inventory or a cleaning crew coming in and leaving the door open for a couple hours, burning shelf life, burning energy. Or you might get a notification about a display case that was unplugged for cooling and someone forgot to plug it back in. And, um, you know, could have a thousand dollar, a couple of thousand dollar loss event. Um, let's say you have uh, perishables in there. Um, and many, many different events occur, whether they are because of equipment issues, you know, uh, compressor failures, wiring, cleaning, or because of power issues. We've got a lot of brownouts and blackouts and storms. You don't always know when stuff goes down. And then, of course, the most common and often harder to catch is, you know, just human workflow. Uh, people leaving doors open or forgetting to kind of plug things back in after cooling and cleaning cycles, et cetera. And so the combination of those three factors means you have preventable events, you know, often as much as, um, you know, once or twice a month. Um, and so uh, we try and catch those and help alert uh, team members. And then the last thing we do, and I'll stop yapping, you know, in addition to the temperature and humidity alerting, we also offer reports, insight reports that help showcase and, tr and, and highlight patterns in the data that might be related to areas for efficiency or areas for improvement. Those patterns um, could include um, equipment that's overworked that needs to be repaired, possibly replaced, could be um, operating issues like, uh, you know, spikes in temperature in the nighttime uh, because of delivery or, or, or maintenance and a whole set of uh, sometimes overcooling. We can showcase where people might be overcooling inventory and that could cause freezer burn or just overuse of energy. And so um, we offer those analytics or insights as well. That's the package. So tell us about the sensors themselves. Let's just say a restaurant has 10 different pieces of refrigeration equipment. They have 10 different sensors. They get a notification or an alarm. It, it specifically pinpoints the device. And is there sort of a, a code to follow as to what the problem is? Or is it smart te technology that literally, you know, the sensor talks to the owner of the restaurant and says, you know, your walk-in just went down because the compressor just failed and blah, blah. You know, how, what is the detail of the message and, you know, the severity of the instructions that it tells you what's going on so you know how to solve the problem. If you could just clarify that, I was just curious. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think that, that there's a couple of things about the sensors that are worth highlighting. First, um, they're much more reliable than the prior generation of sensors. Uh, the reason they're more reliable is they use radio, long-range radio, instead of Wi-Fi or Bluetooth to communicate. Wi-Fi and Bluetooth-based sensors have been around for a decade, but they have a hard time getting signal out of refrigeration environments. The refrigeration box acts like a Faraday cage. The sides of the refrigeration unit often block signal from getting out. And so historically, wireless sensors have been very unreliable. They often drop signal. Long range radio is pretty new and sensors that use it are, are, are fairly um, novel. And so we're able to take advantage of this new type of connectivity to get signal out much more reliably, which is one of the reasons a lot of the companies we work with we're working with operators of brands like McDonald's and Domino's, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, Burger King, Wendy's. They often tested wireless-based sensors in the past and said, these don't really work. Um, and that's why we've been able to kind of scale, is we have much more reliable data collection. Um, secondly, I think the, the whole experience, the alerting, the, the install, the configuration, um, is all meant to be very consumer-grade. 
instead of business grade. We go for consumer grade. The idea is we want to keep it simple, keep it clean, uh, make it something that you know a twenty-year-old um, in the back of house can can get up and running without too much uh, handholding and too much technical instruction. So there's no technician required. There's no drilling. Um, it's a drop-in place, and the alerting and notifications can be toggled off of a mobile app or a dashboard. And so typically, the entire experience is much simpler and easier for an average user. And, and that means that the onboarding is a lot less painful than a lot of the technology. And then last, um, you know, we, we offer information in the alerts. Most of that information, to your question, Roger, has to do with the time and temp thresholds, like this is how long and this is how many degrees this unit has been out of range for or out of spec. Um, based on whatever the, the company's uh, thresholds are. You can set that for each sensor and each location. So it can be very granular. Really depends on how sensitive you want the alerts to be. The highest value inventory, the, the, the product, uh, you know, the inventory that holds or the assets that hold the most valuable product often have the most sensitivity. Um, and then you can decide um, you know, what you want to do in terms of how you respond. We don't today offer um, insights into the equipment itself during the alert. So we don't say, hey, this is because of the following issues. We do that kind of insight in the review, in the reporting that we offer, say, on a monthly basis, the insight uh, reports. But we don't do that on the alert itself because there could be a number of factors at work. Typically, we're saying, go check this out. There's a problem here. Um, and, and, uh, and then we kind of aggregate that data over time and say, this is because of a piece of equipment that might be running hot or an equipment malfunction or you've set the, the temperature maybe you know, at the wrong threshold, et cetera. And a client can specify how many different people he wants involved in this process, whether it's a maintenance person, whether it's a on-floor manager, whether it's a general manager, whatever, or multiple people so that we make sure that this problem gets taken care of immediately. Even if it's in the middle of the night, someone's got to deal with it. Exactly, exactly. And, and a lot of our uh, clients have both um, internal team members and sometimes third parties get notified, uh, like a repair and maintenance uh, team or mm -hmm. facilities team. Um, and of course, you can decide whether it's in-store uh, team members that get the alerts or an owner-operator. We've had some you know, um, franchisee operators or, or kind of uh, much more high-touch owner-operators that want to get the alerts themselves so that if they're away on the weekend, they might find out about a preventable loss event and tell their store uh, lead to go in and check on it. But it really depends on the size of the operation we're deploying with companies that have one location or even just a food truck. And then we've got folks that have, you know, 100 plus, 200 plus locations. You know, it's pretty impressive that the quality of your equipment, it's military grade, you've got a 10 year battery life, it works through really, really thick walls, it's got a 1200 foot range. I mean, these are just some of the statistics of the product. And it, I think you mentioned also that it doesn't require Wi Fi or Ethernet. So it's 4G connectivity. That doesn't mean anything to me or maybe my average listener, but can you explain what that means, 4G connectivity? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the, there's, two, um, there's two pieces of equipment that we include with Therma. There's sensors and then there's a hub or gateway. Um, the sensors are typically a little bit larger than a deck of cards and they get dropped into your different pieces of equipment. Right. Um, the sensors themselves use long-range radio. So they, um, they don't use cellular, they don't use 4G or Wi-Fi, they use long-range radio to get signal out of the inside of a fridge or freezer over to the hub. 
Gotcha. Uh, okay. That's pretty new because uh, historically you had to use either um, wired sensors. That's what came out about 20 years ago. You'd, mm-hmm. you'd drill a line in the side and you'd run a landline in. That's what a big hospital system would have in their hospital mm-hmm. refrigeration or sure. some, like a, a Costco or Walmart might have in their big distribution centers where you got millions of dollars of inventory. Those are very expensive and typically cost five or 10,000 bucks to wire in. Um, also, they don't move and they have a limited range. So you can only have a few of them in a warehouse or a distribution center. About a decade ago, wireless sensors came out. Those are using Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, um, but Wi-Fi and Bluetooth drop signal a lot, which is mm-hmm. why most of our uh, clients who tested out Generation 1 sensors said, ads ah, isn't for us, doesn't really work. LoRa, long-range radio, lets you get signal out from the sensor to the gateway. The gateway or the hub has a very long range, and it can connect to dozens or even hundreds of sensors. So it can handle a lot of uh, sensor footprint, a lot of data coming in. Uh, what's, uh, what's great about the gateways or the hubs is they don't need to use Wi-Fi to send signal back to the cloud. They can use cellular 4G, which is a cellular network-based uh, connection that's pretty high speed, that lets you get data reliably, that has good coverage now around all of you know, North America. And that means that the whole store uh, or location uh, doesn't need to have Wi-Fi for the system to work. The sensors can use radio. The gateways can use 4G. Now, the gateways also have the ability to use Wi-Fi if you do have a reliable Wi-Fi, but they don't need it, which means that a lot of stores that don't have great Wi-Fi, doesn't matter. Thermo will still work fine. Fantastic. You know, this technology just keeps moving forward every single day. It's hard to keep up with it, but some of these things are really revolutionizing the way businesses operate and restaurants especially. So it's been really interesting. I understand you have a demo also. Your website is hellotherma.com. That's hello, T-H-E-R-M-A.com. So if the audience is interested in our podcast today, please go to that website and check out the demo. What does a demo consist of, Monica? Yeah, absolutely. And, and appreciate that, Roger. Appreciate you uh, flagging and highlighting our website. Um, typically, in a demo, we'll, we'll walk through over a screen share uh, what the install process look like, looks like, what the, um, what the sensor alerts look like, and how the dashboard for configuring and reviewing data works. It's about 15 minutes. And we'll spend some time looking at and talking to um, a potential partner about what their refrigeration needs are, what kinds of assets, and what kinds of downtime or, or possible loss events they've ever had. And, and then we'll try and come up with a, a very simple deployment plan, which is basically deciding which pieces of equipment might make sense to monitor. Not everyone wants to monitor all of their refrigeration. You don't need to. You might just pick the most valuable um, you know, assets, the walk-in fridge and freezer, for example. And so, uh, our pricing model is very transparent, very simple. Uh, we charge uh, just a monitoring fee. There's no hardware cost. That's another thing I think that's that's really exciting for a lot of our uh, partners and our clients. You don't have to spend a lot of money on on upfront hardware, um, which is which is pretty new um, for for this industry. And so it means the cost of getting started is much much lighter. And uh, we only charge a monitoring fee per sensor. So you can decide how many sensors you want to put into a given location. Could be two, could be six. Just depends on what kind of inventory you have. And we typically go over that in the demo as well. We look at the average location kind of inventory and try and figure out how to get the most value. You know, I definitely saw the value there. I was remarkably impressed at how low the fee is per sensor. 
in relation to the potential loss out there when a piece of equipment goes down, you could lose hundreds, if not thousands of dollars worth of inventory. So God, preventative maintenance and peace of mind at the same time. I think that's tremendous. Have we missed anything? We've covered a lot of ground, Monica, in this interview, and it's amazing what you've done here. And I think you're offering a tremendous service to the industry. So thank you for that. Very kind of you, Roger. It's a pleasure to be on today. Um, we love working with uh, restaurant owner operators. We work with companies of all sizes uh, from one location, um, you know, startups uh, like ours, all the way up to national brands. So would, would love to talk to anyone who might be interested, who's checking us out today. Please don't hesitate to reach out to me as well directly. If you'd like to, to connect, my email is monik, M-A-N-I-K, monik at hellotherma.com. And uh, I hope we get a chance to continue this conversation. We're trying to help uh, improve profitability and sustainability. Well, thanks for being a terrific guest. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Thanks, audience, for tuning in. And we will see you in the next episode. Thanks again. Well, guys, there's a solution, a simple system to help notify you if you ever have an equipment meltdown or a power outage or even human error that leaves refrigeration equipment open. You can lose, obviously, thousands of dollars, and uh, why not prevent that from happening? You know, I remember a long time ago, there was a power outage at my restaurant that was completely unpredictable, and wouldn't you know, it'd be a Saturday night, and the place was busy, and we lost power, and we lost our point-of-sale system and everything, and thankfully, we had a system in place. My staff were very well trained for what if, you know, how do you make the show go on if such an occurrence happens? And it did. And the customers actually had a really good time. But then we didn't have refrigeration and we had no idea how long it would be until the power was restored. And thankfully, we we're at a ski resort in wintertime and we brought all our perishables out into the snowbank and they stayed there all night. And the next morning, power was restored. So we had a simple solution. But again, preventative maintenance is key. If you need a simple maintenance system, as well as cost controls and how to maximize your profit and train your staff and super powerful marketing ideas, it's all in our academy system. The Restaurant Rockstars Academy can be found at restaurantrockstars.com. Thanks again for tuning in. Please leave us a review on iTunes if you're enjoying the podcast. And why not reach out to me if you have any ideas for upcoming guests, if you have a challenging pain point you'd like to discuss. My email is roger, R-O-G-E-R, at restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.